Welcome back to the Hour View Podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Marie Dagenet Lewis. Today, we are celebrating Disability Pride Month. Listen in on our conversation as Marie and I share our stories about our journeys at arriving to a place of pride about having a disability. It wasn't always that way for both of us, and I think you will really appreciate our stories and the path that we took to arriving at this sense of pride of living with disabilities. Enjoy the conversation. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. I am here with my guest today, Marie Dagenet Lewis, and I am very happy that you are uh, joining us today to um, share your story with everyone. So, Marie, thank you for uh, joining me today. Hi, um, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, so can you... Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Marie? Um, I always like to tell, uh, ask people to share one fun thing that they like to do or one fun fact about themselves. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I guess Marie is basically a very pridefully disabled art activist. Um, one thing that people might not know about me is that my prior career was in broadcasting. And so my, um, I've directed thousands of television shows. I have a VAB award. Um, and so I really became an art activist because I lost my career to um, ableism. And so I became this content creator, artist and advocate and community organizer just centered with disability pride and sharing my personal experience um, as well as just trying to collaborate and help really raise awareness and perspectives with disability pride and the disabled experience in general. Wow, that's so cool. I remember in your introduction and in your email that you sent me, uh, you talked about your broadcasting. I was like, wow, that's so awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, um, I'm fascinated with, uh, you know, TV and how they put things together and, and all of that. So I was really, uh, really cool. I thought it was really cool to, uh, to see that. Um, so you, you explained that you are um, pridefully uh, disabled advocate. So um, can you share with us what your diagnosis is, uh, what it means and how it impacts, um, how it impacts your life? Yeah, so I was born with this rare disorder called multiple hereditary exostosis. And um, it has multiple names. It also is hereditary multiple exostosis, multiple osteochondromatitis. Like there's multiple acronyms for the same diagnosis. And basically it's a genetic defect that um, happens in a key protein enzyme called heparin sulfate. And it's heparin with A-N, not I-N. There's a difference, there's so many proteins. <laughs> um, and uh, because of that genetic defect, I have um, multiple bone tumors scattered throughout my body, as well as systemic um, symptoms that cause a lot more diagnoses. Like I live with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, hemiplegic migraine disorder, fibromyalgia, myalgic encephalitis, arthritis, um, and then PTSD from living disabled in an ableist society. Um, and so really like my whole life, I've been this disabled 
But when I was a child, um, I was really ashamed of that. And it was my dirty little secret. And so not only did I have to deal with the physical aspects of being physically disabled as a child, I put a lot more strain on myself because I wouldn't admit I was disabled. It was my dirty little secret. It was like the elephant in the room. And then like, I hated myself for that too. And like, I, it's like you experience so much because you don't like yourself because of this one thing you can't control about yourself. And so it's like, not only did I have these physical things that my disability caused me, but it also caused me irreparable trauma that like, that's why I'm doing my advocacy work now, because it's like, there's no time machine for me to go back and tell Marie, who's a little girl who feels like the gross girl with tumors that her tumors aren't disgusting. There's no time for me to do that, but there's time for me to make sure the little kids today who have bumpy bones feel comfortable with their bumpy bones. And it's like, it's so much more than bumpy bones too, though, which is what I'm learning. And so it's like, I find it's really essential that kids know that because it's blowing my mind to know that all of these things that I thought were normal as a child weren't normal, like blows my mind. Like, I didn't know that other people can't go over eight hours without using the bathroom. I, I thought that was normal. And then everyone's looking at me like, what? And I'm like, oh, so I guess that's something that not everyone does. And then that's just like, it's an avalanche of everything. Like, like, so wait, that's not normal either. And then like, when you do your own advocacy and patient research and everything, you start to learn. And it's, it's just, it's life changing stuff because knowledge is power. And so you're not just suffering in the dark, but you know why you're suffering at least. And like, it, it, it's just empowering to me. I don't know. So like my experience was transformed once I admitted I was disabled. I accepted I was disabled and it was just Marie who is disabled in all of their disabled glory type of deal. Instead of that double life where it's like I had to mask my disabled life. So I go to all my doctors in the morning and then I put on that makeup. I like put on that mask and work an eight hour day and then deal with the consequences. It's like, that's not my life anymore, which is really relieving. Thankfully, I'm very privileged and lucky to be able to say that. Um, and because I can do that, it's like, I feel really, really like, it's like a personal mission that I have to be able to share my perspective and like educate people on the disabled experience so it can make life easier for other disabled souls who still have to live that double life. I love what you said that you, um, how, how you wanna make other children now not have the same experience that you had when you were younger, where you were hiding and, um, you know, feeling embarrassed or ashamed of, uh, you know, your diagnosis. So it's like you said, you can't go back and change that for yourself, but you can now use your life currently to change that for, the uh, current generation and uh, of future generation of children to come. And I, I believe that's where um, you and I, we have um, that in common because that's why I started my Our View company because it started with children. It started with my nephew where he didn't understand, um, or I should say he understood why my disability and why I had to walk with crutches and use a wheelchair. 
he didn't get it that everybody else didn't understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, his classmates, why don't, well, why don't they understand? Why don't they know that? Because they don't know me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's where it all started for me. And it was just like, okay, so, you know, when I remember when I was a, a kid, we had um, this, I, I don't know if it was a nonprofit, but it was some group that came around that, that did a puppet show about disabilities to my elementary school. And they talked about certain disabilities. And, you know, I, I do remember that they did that for me because I was the first um, person with a visible disability in the, uh, in the school. So, mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to like create that, recreate that experience for children. And it's something that I, for some reason, I never thought about it. I think because for me, um, my disability is, is more visible where, as I said, I walk with crutches and use a wheelchair at times. Um, so it, it's in people's faces. And, you know, so it's kind of like the, it is the elephant in the room. And so it's, Unfortunately, you know, it's something that I, I don't have to talk about it, but I choose to talk about it with people mm-hmm. growing up and, and being in uh, middle school and high school and college. It's just like, oh, yeah, I have to use this wheelchair, have this thing called spina bifida. And I just mm-hmm. kind of go into the, the whole conversation about it uh, because you can't it's like you can't get around the, the wheelchair. So mm-hmm. you have to uh, really talk about it. But um, to know that you are now using your life to help break down those uh, stereotypes and the ableism that exists. And to say that you uh, have the pride of being a disabled person is, um, you know, really great. I, I love that, uh, you know, when you were talking about that in your email introduction about uh, who you are and, and why you would be a great guest for the show. So I'm, I'm really excited to uh, have you on. And <clears throat> another thing that I was so so happy about to see uh is that you created a series of coloring books and again i've i like to write i'm not the best writer um but i I use for me i use poetry as a way to cope with my disability and just life in general with uh surgeries that i've had and just um different situations the good the bad the happy the sad I just wrote about it, <laughs> whether it rhymed or not, or it made sense. It's just a way for me to get things out. And um, I can't draw or design much of anything. <laughs> so I'm always happy and excited to uh, hear about people that can do those things. So can you tell us about your uh, series of coloring books? It's called Chronically Spooky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it's so funny that, like you're saying all of this, how like you can't draw on anything, because I swear to God, if it was two two years ago yeah two years ago and you showed me my books I would have like literally thought you were messing with me if you told me I hand drew that because I I never drew I wasn't someone who was able to because my disabilities made art a lot harder for me the Mm -hmm. time it took to clean up the time it took to really get started and then on top of that I'm neurodiverse and so I have this really bad perfectionist trait to Uh where if I don't think I can do something good enough I am terrified of doing it and I won't do it and so I'm really working on that and my life really changed when I found digital art because like don't get me wrong my mom reminded me I was always a crafty kid she's like (laughs) you were making jewelry and selling it when you were in middle school and I'm like oh was I I don't remember (laughs) it's been a long life (laughs) and it's like but digital art 
it was amazing because I, I finally treated myself to an iPad. I got the most cheapest thing I could find, 32 gigabyte, whatever. All I wanted was Procreate. Procreate was the best 1099 I've ever spent in my life because it opened the world of art to me. Like as a migraine warrior, I can't really be in the light that much. I my, my vision gets double vision when I'm in auras. And so when you're a perfectionist that really relies on details and there's no undo button, you really, it didn't work. So it's like, once I got that undo button and I got the capabilities to zoom in with Procreate and then I was able to like find brushes that recreated these traditional mediums. Like I have alcohol brush sets. I have thick painterly like oil, impasto, gouch, watercolor. Like it's an amazing thing because this one little app opened up a massive world to me. And so back in 2020, when I was in the middle of losing my career, um, I was still fighting to save it. I, I pulled the discrimination card, so I still had my job for a little bit, but I, I knew the writing was on the wall. I got my iPad, and so I got Procreate, and I started working with it. And wow. two months later, when I lost my job in August of 2020, all I had was art and advocacy because I, I got back into my advocacy work. And so really it's like, I poured all of my emotions into my art and out of the, that came Chronically Spooky. And so Chronically Spooky was published, the first one in October of 2020. And it features 21 pages that are all hand-drawn. And the theme is spooky, like, it, because it's honestly, <laughs> it's always spooky season when you're living with a disability and a chronic illness. Wow. From the symptoms that come out of nowhere from not knowing that whether or not you're going to have an attack after something from the society in all of the barriers and the oppression that we have to live with just for having a medical diagnosis. It's like, it's always spooky season. That's why I love Halloween. Um, it makes it okay. But it's like, so with that, it's like, it's not only just a coloring book, it's like a massive statement because it's so symbolic in so many ways. Like it's always spooky season, but then the art itself within it, it's inspired by different themes related to disabled pride, disabled life, our culture, um, because disabled culture is completely different from other culture. And it's something that it's like, it celebrates it. And I wanted to make art for somebody because art's my distraction. Once I got that digital art, like, I don't think I would have been able to make it through my termination. I don't, I really don't think I would have, but I had art. And so I was able to really focus and pour myself into something. And not everyone has access to art like that. Not everyone is creative, but people like the color. Coloring gives people a form of art that can be accessible to them. And so with um, Amazon KDP, I was able to self-publish my books. And I wanted to make sure that I kept the price point too very low and accessible because again, if you're dealing with a lot of chronic illnesses and you need a distraction, chances are you're not going to be able to afford the fancy self-care that the ableist society always talks about. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's really hard to go like justify buying an $8 coffee when you can't even afford your medication, when you can't mm -hmm. even like afford your food. It's like there's it's really hard, but it's like, to me, I could justify buying myself 
a coloring book for $5.99 that will help me feel not only safer, but I want people to feel validated because life with a chronic illness, with a disability, with a rare disease, with a mental illness, it's hard. We're told we're not experiencing what we're experiencing. We're told to just get over it. We're told that it's in our heads. And it's like the first chronically spooky book was all made to fight that. And so then after that, I made chronically spooky too, which really it dives deeper into disabled pride and acceptance and culture. Um, and that features 33 pages that are hand-drawn. Um, and what makes it more than a coloring book too is it's not just coloring pages. On the back of every page, you have an image description of that art. And also there's like a little quote statement message that relates with the art too. Um, so it, it's like more than just a coloring page. You have that validation, you have that distraction and you also have something that when you're done you see where your time went it's not like you were just sitting for hours it's like there's a beautiful painting that reminds you that you are strong and that you can do this or you're the it's like the phoenix that is rising from the flames it's like that's that's what helps me and so I, I really wanted to give something to someone that could really feel like that and like also to like it what what I also do is like I'm the spooky artist you know bones and everything all my bones are bumpy I make sure that there's the artistic representation of bumpy bones because mm -hmm. when I was growing up it was never there all the bones were smooth and you know I know my, my rare disease is rare many people in my town aren't going to want bumpy bones it's not for them it's for that little kid it's for that person who has the bumpy bones and feels so alien to everyone because no one else in their family has the bumpy bones, but they have a shirt, they have a coloring book, mm -hmm. they have a sticker, they have something that makes it normalized. Yeah. Um, and that's I'd what it's love, about. And I, I love that you, you know, that, that you used your own experience to create this and how you used art, like you said, to really uh, help you through, um, you know, losing your your profession and uh, how you you created your own, you know, your own art. And that was, uh, and then to come up with such a, a great uh, concept and to uh, use it to educate as well is, um, you know, it's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. So I'm, I'm really yeah. glad that you were able to, um, to find that. And um, one of the um, reoccurring themes in this conversation, which I love so much, is disability <laughs> pride. Um, can you share uh, what disability pride means to you and why? Um, uh, I, I guess maybe how you arrived at that, because um, mm -hmm. earlier you shared how, you know, at first, you know, your disability was something that you kept from people and you didn't share it with with other people. And now, uh, you know, you're, you're willing to talk about it. You have a great social media page, which we will talk about soon, <laughs> um, where you share uh, different uh, stories and, and parts of your life uh, living with a disability. So can you share what disability pride means to you? Yeah, um, disability pride to me is accepting and embracing your disabled existence for everything that you are. 
and that 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 mean it doesn't have to mean you're loving your pain it doesn't have to mean you love what your existence is because you know who who loves being in constant pain all the time it's it's understandable like our physical conditions do give us a lot of obstacles but disability pride means that we accept that and we try to make sure that we are doing things in our life that makes it a little bit easier because while our bodies can't really be controlled we can make sure our environments are more accessible our environments are more comfortable to us our environments are more adapting to us um and so disability pride though is very it's very nuanced because there's different levels of disability um i didn't just get to my pridefully disabled existence like it took me decades and then not only that like I started really talking about my double life, which was my disability back in 2016, when I had a cancer scare that really forced me to, because I was about to have a major surgery, didn't know if I was gonna be cancer, didn't know if I was ever gonna be able to go back to work. I was gonna be out of my um, directing for months at least, the very minimum. And so it was like a major impact I had to, it was my two worlds collided. And at once that happened, I was never really able to put that mask back on. And so it was like, I started the journey there of my self-acceptance and I was walking towards disability pride. Well, my form of walking towards disability pride, but I wasn't there because I used the term chronically ill. I'm not disabled. I'm chronically ill. I'm a spoonie. I, I don't have disabilities. It's just chronic illnesses, all of that stuff. You know, I had a lot of internalized ableism to really unpack because there's nothing wrong with the labels of chronic illness, spoonie or anything like that. Cause I am a disabled chronically ill spoonie. It's all me, but we are inherently ingrained to think disability is negative. And so in turn, we find these labels that will call ourselves something else to mean the same thing. And we don't even really realize that, you know, no one says a spoonie to be euphemistic euphemistic they say it because it's understandable to the culture that we know of within hmm. the chronically ill community but that doesn't change the fact that we are forced to have this culture because of the ableist society and so disability pride is really acknowledging all of the internalized ableism that we have been ingrained into us because we have no one made that choice no one makes the choice to be ableist we make the choice to be anti-ableist we make the choice to actively unsubscribe to all of these systemic tropes and narratives that society has ingrained into us from the very beginning of time because anthropologist margaret mead she is quoted by saying that the mark of civilization is a healed femur bone so the first mark of civilization is anti-ableism. Civilization is the evolution of anti-ableism. The more and more that we grow as a society, the more and more we're really steering away from the animalistic instincts of the animal kingdom, which would make us, you know, leave someone out to die when their bone got broken instead of making sure they were healed and taken care of for the rest of their life. And so it's like with disability pride, we're understanding that 
we have been taught to think a certain way about disability and we're not feeling guilty about it either. How can we feel guilty when it's all we know? It's mm. all we've ever been taught. Like conversations like these podcasts, like yours, you started in 2011 doing all of your, all of your work. That's pioneering in all of this stuff. It's like, those are the first conversations that are really had that start to walk towards disability pride in the way that we can. And it's like, so when these conversations have only started happening within the last 30 years, how can we feel guilty of being inherently ableist? We can't. Disability pride is accepting that. It's knowing we didn't have that choice, but we can make the choice to educate ourselves in any way that we can, whether it's talking to other disabled souls, whether it's sharing our story, it's looking at different contents, it's so many different ways we can educate ourselves. And it's actively doing that. Um, And disability pride is so misunderstood because of the ableist society, because disability pride is the strongest weapon that we have to dismantle the ableist society. It threatens the ableist society. So it doesn't want us to know the power that we can find in disability pride. So it's always going to twist that narrative around it. It's always going to gaslight, project, do all of that stuff. So we think disability pride should be feared. It should be mocked. It should be minimized. Like, I can't tell you the amount of disabled people that have told me I shouldn't have disability pride. Okay, well, you're telling me to hate myself then because I have a disability. And that's not going to fly. Like, that's what we have to start really thinking in terms like that so we can start to understand and unpack and really change what we see disability pride as because it's definitely not a monolith. It's definitely not just one thing. And because the disabled community is so diverse and every single experience is different, that's going to be how multifaceted disability pride is. Yes, it will mean something different to every individual. And it's it's like a... um... It's like a scale or a spectrum, I guess you could say, where Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it means something different to everybody. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as you said, you, um, you know, you yourself, you said you had chronic illnesses or you're chronically ill and, um, you know, shying away from the word disabled and disability where, um, and Tiffany, I I brought this up in a couple of other um, conversations. Mm -hmm. She created the shirt that disability is not a bad word. And mm-hmm. it's so true because we, you know, as, as you said, though, it's, it's been that way. It was, we were brought up that way to believe that it was a bad thing. And even just the, um, again, like I, one of my missions is to change the tone of conversation about disabilities because mm-hmm. of the way that people focus on, uh, you know, what, what people can't do when they have a disability. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that that's what I'm really uh, wanting to stress and focus on in these conversations I have on the podcast is that, yes, we have disabilities. Yes, we're disabled. But like you yourself, you have published two coloring books <laughs> mm-hmm. and you've done so many other things. And with your broadcasting career, you've you know, you've done directing and, and all of all of these other things that you have done while living a disabled life as a disabled person. Um, you know, we're out here. I always say we're out here doing things. We're <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> doing we're doing a lot of stuff, and people need to know that. And that is how we can um, really help 
uh, change this conversation. And, uh, you know, you, you've touched on it as well throughout the conversation about ableism. And I think that's a really, um, a really big topic that has come up a lot, uh, especially in the last two years with everybody on social media, a lot of the uh, content creators, uh, disabled content creators are having conversations about ableism. Again, Tiffany, uh, mm -hmm. she has this, uh, do you want to be less ableist and uh, <laughs> anti-ableist? And, and she posts these reels on Instagram uh, talking about it. And I, I think it's um, a great conversation um, to have. Can you share with us mm -hmm. what that means to you um, to live an anti-ableist lifestyle? Oh yeah, I, I can't even tell you how happy it has made me to see that transition. Because back in the summer of 2020, I was being canceled, I was being harassed, I was being like bullied for being an anti-ableist advocate. I was being told I wasn't advocating the right way by my own friends, by mental health advocates, by disabled advocates, by chronically ill advocates, because I was one of the only people trying to do anti-ableist advocacy in a time when it really wasn't done. I was newer to the community. I had taken a hiatus from social media. So like where I had grown my page for like a couple of years, I had taken a break. And so here's this newcomer trying to talk about ableism when we're talking about something else. Who does she think she is kind of deal, I guess? I don't know. All I know is I'm really grateful I didn't give up during those times because they almost made me quit but I didn't and I kept talking about ableism and I kept talking about disability pride. And then I found the diversability community and that was my glimmer of hope <laughs> because it was an environment where it was like, okay, here's a bunch of other advocates who they start, they, they see a bigger picture too. They start to see that, but it's like, they see that we have a lot to offer with our disabled excellence. And there's some conversations that aren't being had that we can start to have. And so through the diversability community, I kind of got this, like, I guess a confidence in a way because I saw other people were interested too. And it's like from June of 2020 to now, it is miraculous. It makes me <laughs> so happy that there are people like, not even in the disability community. I'll be in some random like checkpoints page from my local town. And I see some random person being like, that's an ableist comment. It's trickling <laughs> down. It's not just in our conversations anymore. Right. And it's like uh, ableism is a nuanced term just as much as disabled pride, just as much as everything because it's so deeply rooted in everything we do. Ableism is the oldest systemic generational curse that we have on the world. Because again, the sign of civilization was that healed femur bone. So that means ableism was the rule of law prior to civilization starting to evolve. And so ableism is the systemic oppression. Uh, it, and that could go in many different forms. There is so much more than just oppression it's like words language microaggressions actions it's like the inherent exclusion and the inherent mistreatment of someone because of their medical diagnosis whether it is diagnosed by a medical professional or not and whether you are privy to that diagnosis or not 
many little asterisks and fine prints with that because mm -hmm. you can be ableist without knowing it. You can be ableist to someone who doesn't think they're disabled. You can be, a disabled person can be ableist to another disabled person. It, it's like there is no fine prints that say, oh, well, this is an ableism. No, we all have this internalized ableism. We all are actively ableist. And some of us have just started learning a little bit earlier than others about ableism. And so we're a little bit more um, educated when it comes to being anti-ableist. But that doesn't mean I'm not ableist. I'm still <laughs> unpacking my own ableism every day too. I'm still learning. I'm still like everything like that. No one is, no one is like not able at all and so living an anti-ableist lifestyle that means you're doing everything that's within your personal power to be anti-ableist and to dismantle the ableist society in your own way and i say in your own power because my anti-ableist lifestyle is completely different than anyone else's because my life is different I'm very lucky in that when I lost my lifelong career because I stood up to being discriminated against, I had a family. I had a husband who, he also lost his job around the same time too, but he was able to go out and he was able to work a job to where we could make some money where I couldn't. He, he had that ability to make sure that we had some form of income. We were living with family, so we weren't gonna be homeless. I wasn't forced to mask. I wasn't forced to have to swallow my pride and I wasn't forced to have to play the ableist society's game. I was extremely privileged. I was extremely fortunate. There's not many people who can say no to a severance package. There's not many people who can say, no, I'm going to not take this buy out of silence and I'm gonna make sure that I can still share my story. People don't have that privilege because the ableist society won't let that. The ableist society won't let us share our stories. And so it's like my able, my anti-ableist lifestyle is totally different because of different scenarios in my life. For mm -hmm. someone else who can't unmask, an anti-ableist lifestyle for you would look like not feeling guilty that you can't unmask, not self-loathing yourself because you have to play by the ableist society's game and accepting your disabled existence in any way that works for you. Whether that's when you get home, you take off that mask and you exist in all of your disabled glory in any way you can. Whether that's just accepting that you have to mask and I'm not gonna feel bad about it. I'm gonna do everything I can to make my life more comfortable without making sure I'm threatening my existence. It's like knowing that whatever works for you is okay and how it should be. That's an anti-ableist lifestyle. So if you can't ask for accommodations, if you can't disclose, if you can't be existing pridefully disabled and post content on social media that talks about your disability, all of your anti-ableist lifestyle needs to be within yourself. Self-acceptance, self-love, make sure you're pointing that resentment that you inherently must feel because how can you not feel resentful for having to hide your existence don't point it at yourself point it at the real culprit which is the able society so like do doing everything you can to feel comfortable with yourself 
while knowing the real enemy is the ableist society. And if you can, you know, educate yourself. If you can, in little conversations, be like, well, actually, this is what ableism is. You're not exposing, dis you're not disclosing your disability. You're just educating on a system. You're just contributing to conversations, you know? It's a great way too to be anti-ableist. There's so many different little ways that you don't have to be like the creators in social media. You right. do not, you never have to disclose if it's gonna threaten your life, it's gonna threaten your livelihood, if it's gonna threaten your income. It we like I, I really feel bad sometimes when people do feel pressured from my content because they feel like I'm talking to them as if they need to disclose because I disclose. No. No, that's never how it is. All of us content creators, at least I'm speaking from my own perspective. Mm -hmm. When I share content, it's my thoughts and how I'm able to live. And I feel like it's imperative that I share these thoughts because I'm able to do that. So someone who can't do that will still have someone advocating against the stuff that really impacts them. Like, right. because I am able to disclose I need to talk about it on social media, but I don't expect you to disclose because I talk about it on social media. I honestly expect you please not to feel guilty that you can't disclose. That's like, and so really the anti-ableist lifestyles, it multifaceted, just, just like right. everything with disability. <laughs> and I think that is the important thing. It's an individual thing. It's how you, how you personally choose to approach it may be different than how I choose to approach it, may be different than the next person. <laughs> uh how, how they choose to approach it as well and i think uh one of the big things that you mentioned too is that it's um it, it's a thing that we all have to become educated on every single person and it's um i, I know some content creators can be more um i guess like in your face about it and real you know almost in a confrontational kind of way about it um, and that works for them. I, you know, I, I followed some of the pages and it's just like, yes, you know, like it needed to be said in, in that way for that specific person because of their experience and how they, um, you know, how they're, they're dealing with what they went through. And it, it's just a, a learning experience for all of us. So it's just, um, I, I think it's a, uh, a be kind to yourself uh, type of situation where it's like, whether you have a disability or not, it, ableism is something we're all learning about. It's, it's something fairly new that's being discussed more often now. And as you said, you, you notice it on your township pages and I notice it in uh, some of the local news articles and, and things like that. And they're pointing out ableist language and uh, you know all types of things like that. So it is something that people are hearing more about and they're, discuss they're discussing it, they're talking about it. And that is, um, I, I always say that's how we start making change by talking about things. So I mm -hmm. think um, I, I truly appreciate, like I said, your uh, content that you post. And before we do wrap up, I would love uh, for you to share where people can follow you on social media, where they can buy your uh, coloring books and um, any other uh, thing <laughs> that you would like to share. If you have anything coming up, just, yeah. you know, just share everything. Yeah. <laughs> And real quick too, I want to also like, it's really important to acknowledge too, when it comes to ableism, if someone is saying something is ableist, listen to them because their experience is different from yours. And even though you might not think it's ableist, maybe you haven't had that experience to know why it is. 
So ask them, don't say, no, it's not ableist. Ask them, be like, I didn't know that this is, please do you mind sharing a little bit more so I can understand better. Because when we automatically feel combative and we say, oh, well, that's not it, that, that can't be it. We're also talking over another disabled soul who is being vulnerable and who is really trying to dismantle the ableist society. And mm -hmm. so it, it's natural for someone to feel a little defensive if they feel like they might be either being attacked in any way. I mean, you're not being attacked when someone's talking about ableism, but it's natural for someone to feel personally attacked if they might realize that they do this thing without realizing that they do it. It's a natural response, but try to control that natural response because when you do that natural response, you're not being, it's not being conducive to what we really want, which is a multi-diverse perspectives from every which way, like, because ableism is so depth and multi-rooted. I'm not right. gonna experience every form. I'm not, it's impossible for me to. I live in America, I live in the South, like I'm at a certain place. I'm not gonna experience the type of ableism that people in other countries are going to. I'm not gonna experience the type of ableism that someone in California is going to. Right. It, it's like their ableism is so different. And so yes. just as we close, it's just so important to remember when we're learning about ableism, you're never being attacked. And it's natural to feel defensive, but remind yourself, I can't be guilty for having this system inherently ingrained into me. And I'm choosing to be better because I wanna learn. So instead of being defensive and shutting down, I'm gonna ask, how can I be better? How does this work? What makes it like this? And make these little steps because it's every impact, every action that makes a massive impact. Right. Um, and you can connect with me on social media. So I'm at Rare Advocate. That's r.a.r.e.a.d.v.o.c.8. And that's my handle for most platforms. Um, Twitter is underscores, but I don't use Twitter that much. You, you'll find me on TikTok and Instagram more. Um, and uh, you can get my Chronically Spooky series books. There's Chronically Spooky 1 and 2. They're both on Amazon. And you can also find that link on my Instagram along with my Rare by Marie DL um, Threadless store. And um, there's also something really exciting coming up this year for July with the Power and Pride celebration, the second annual one that I'm hosting and organizing. So um, I might actually be in touch with you, Arthur, for that celebration, because okay. I would love to have your voice amplified for it. Yeah. I, like, I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm yes. really so thankful that we were able to have it today. Yes, me too. And, and definitely reach out for anything. <laughs> I am, um, you know, I'm all for it. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and to have this conversation about disability pride and ableism. And um, again, I just, I love conversations. I love talking to people, hearing their stories <laughs> and their experiences. And I really think that, um, you know, we are, we're doing our part, we're making a difference, we're out there on social media and, uh, you know, just doing, doing our part and connecting with other mm -hmm. people uh, in this way. And, um, you know, I think it, it will be very helpful to others who are disabled and uh, those who are wanting to be allies of the disabled community. So, uh, Marie, I thank you so much for this conversation and uh, I look forward to working with you um, in the future. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, thank you so much. I hope you have a good one. Oh, thank you. And you too. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View podcast. This is the last episode of season four. We will be back with all new episodes in September. I thank you so much for all of your support. If you missed any of the episodes from this season or any previous season, be sure to catch up with them on our YouTube channel and also through Spotify and Apple Podcast. I thank you for listening and enjoy your summer.